0: Hello to everyone. I'm Gloria Lepic-Corrigan, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Your Accessible Life podcast, a podcast platform designed to provide practical support for living well with a disability, less ability, or physical challenge. When we talk about new or worsening disabilities, it doesn't take long for the subject of filing for disability to come up. And the myths about it are many. Among my friends and collaborators, there are a lot of stories of how we filed, and the challenges we faced, and then, in most cases, our ultimate successes. To put together a real picture of disability law, I contacted David Lillisand, an attorney with extensive experience in this field, and I asked him to speak with us today. Hello, Mr. Lillisand. Thank you for joining
1: us. My pleasure.
0: Well... Let me start by asking you, when people talk about filing for disability, what exactly does that mean?
1: Well, it may mean one thing in their minds, but there is uh, definitely a law that's been in effect since 1956 that defines who would be a person who could receive benefits uh, for having various physical or mental impairments that would prevent significant work activity, Uh, And that process has been honed by Congress and by the agency uh, since it started in 1956 with some major changes in the 1970s, others in the 1980s. At some point, uh, people will get involved with U.S. district courts, the federal court system, challenging decisions made by Social Security. It's so prevalent that uh, 23% of the federal um, court's caseload is reviewing Social Security disability claims that were denied.
0: Wow. Now, you're talking about the government programs. Are there also private programs?
1: People can purchase what's called uh, long-term disability. Many employers offer that as a fringe benefit that you can opt into, and they take some money out of your paycheck to pay the premium for long-term disability. And I always encourage people not to rely on the government's disability, but to purchase that long-term disability because the standards for it are easier to meet than the government standard. The government standard is... You can't be able to work at any job, even if it's a job you've never done before, even if it only pays minimum wage. It's a very difficult standard to meet. With long-term disability, which is a private uh, disability program, your disability uh, is tied to what your position was at work. So if you're unable to be an orthopedic surgeon anymore, they can pay you. But Social Security will deny that same doctor because he's still able to read reports and write reports and make a living, albeit a much lower income living.
0: Hmm, interesting. Um, now, are these benefits we're talking about for disability, are these all just for pre-retirement age people or do they? is it for any age?
1: It's for uh, pre-retirement age people because as soon as you are um, eligible to get your full Uh, retirement benefit which used to be age 65 it's been bumping up to be 68 eventually Um, and they call that full retirement age but if you get hit by a train and you're completely disabled essentially what they do is they pay you your retirement check early so the amount you get from regular social security is based on your tax payments that you've made over the years uh, and what your retirement check would be. So once you start collecting your your check at age 40, when you transition at age 66 to getting a retirement check, you don't notice the difference that it happened. It's just that same check gets deposited into your bank account, and there you are receiving the same amount of money, but they take it out of the retirement trust fund for Social Security instead of taking it out of the disability trust fund. People need to understand that when we have our Social Security taxes taken out of our checks, a part of that goes to the retirement fund, a part of that goes to the Social Security uh, Disability Trust Fund, and a part goes to the Medicare Trust Fund. So it's not all allocated for retirement benefits. And you start getting covered for Social Security disability as early as your early 20s. So... um, when people sometimes will suggest, well, if they t- if I could take seven point six five percent of my income every month and put it into a retirement fund, I'll get more money coming back than I will get from uh, social from Social Security check. Yeah, that's a nice calculation, but it's not the whole story because during the period of time uh, starting in your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and early sixties, you're also covered uh, that that deduction for your Medicare health insurance. If you can't work, you get Medicare. You're also covered for your spousal benefits. If you have a disabled child, that disabled child gets covered under your plan, uh, and it covers you if you're disabled or you're retired. So the 7.65 is not just for retirement benefits.
0: Wow, pretty complete. That's very interesting. Um, So let me ask you now, what actually counts as disability when when – A person is being evaluated for whether they are eligible for any of those programs.
1: Well, Social Security uses a system called the uh, Five-Step Sequential Evaluation Process. Big, long name that just means simply Social Security will ask five questions in order to determine if you qualify medically for disability benefits. And the first question is, are you working now? Generally speaking, if you're working at a full-time job, you're not going to be eligible for being unable to work a job because you are working the job. The second step is, well, do you have a problem that's really significant? Is it a severe uh, impairment physically or mentally? Um, If it's like I get a headache once a month, that's not disability. Yes, you're losing some money. You may not be able to keep jobs if they don't give you at least 12 days a year of sick time. Um, but, generally speaking, it's not going to cause Social Security to have to evaluate your case further. The third step is that Social Security has already published a list of everything that can be wrong with the human body or the human mind. So, uh, for example, with heart disease, they have uh, a what's called listing of impairment for cardiac problems where the doctor can look at this chart and if you have in your medical record something that equals what's on this listing – and they look at your EKG report, and they measure the little blips up and the little blips down and the width width in between them, the listing will say, oh, this person qualifies automatically or not. So that's step three. But even if you don't qualify automatically by having such a severe condition, like the amputation of both legs, for example, amputation of one leg is not disabling. The amputation of one arm is not disabling. The amputation of an arm and a leg, that is two limbs, automatically qualifies you for benefits, but the amputation of one leg does not qualify you for any benefits at all. So it's a pretty t- tough standard to meet. There's an awful lot of jobs that a one-legged person can't do, such as play in the NBA national basketball. Right.
0: So it sounds like that what you do for a living or what kind of work you can do really can have an impact on all of this as well,
1: right? Yes, uh, because at step four, they'll look at what Old work you used to do, and maybe you're used to make twenty five dollars an hour doing a physical job, but you originally were working as a store clerk, and now you could still do that store clerk job. So step four is: Can you go back to your old work? Yes, but I can't live on eight dollars an hour. I was making twenty five dollars an hour. That's not the issue. The issue is: Are you disabled under these rules? So if you can go back to an old job, you're not disabled. If you can't go back to an old job, then they look at, sort of hypothetically, a person with your age, your educational level, uh, and your prior work experience with certain skills you learned, are there any other jobs you've never done, you've never been trained for them, uh, you have no interest in doing them, but you're able to do them, then uh, if, if Social Security can show that... That you could do those jobs, you can't be found disabled. So it's a very difficult process. Uh, a minority of people who apply get approved. It's not the majority of people. It's a minority of people who apply get get approved.
0: Really, if inevitably, because I know I've heard people talk about you know getting denied and then reapplying. In the end of every you know 100 people who apply, including the ones who get denied but then get approved later, what percentage would you think? probably ultimately get approved?
1: About 25 to 30 percent.
0: Really? That's it? Because
1: there's a lot of ways to not be eligible. Uh, You may not have paid sufficient amount of taxes. You have to have paid tax, Social Security taxes, for at least 10 years. Some people haven't paid enough into the system. The second requirement is you have to have been recently connected to the workforce. You can't work like from age 25 to 35, then not work from 35 to 45 while you stay at home and take care of kids and then get hit by the train at age 45, and then ask for disability, they have a rule that you have to work five out of the last 10 years, that person would not qualify on that basis. So there's a lot of ways that people who are not perfect, none of us are perfect. I mean, I am totally disabled mm-hmm. from being a professional football player, <laughs> or so. professional basketball player, because I'm too old, too slow, can't jump. So. You know, we, we have a number of ways that we won't be found disabled. The mistake, and you just mentioned one that's critically important for people, the process of determining whether or not you're eligibility uh, takes you f- through various levels of appeals. And what I see, unfortunately, people apply, get denied, wait a couple months, go back and apply again. There's basically three or four steps to really you know, work this so that it's appropriate and the case is fully developed. You make an application. If you're denied, it tells you on that denial. If you disagree, request reconsideration. You have to do it within 65 days, but request the reconsideration. You aren't going to be successful in all likelihood on reconsideration, but you need that denial so you can request a hearing, and then you go in front of a judge, and that's where we win the cases. Uh, but what I see is, so it's steps one, two, three, four going forward. What I'll see are people that apply, they do step one, wait, step one, wait, step one, wait, step one. They may do seven and eight times over a period of many years. And it's unfortunate because if they would have seen me at the time they got initially denied, and if I would have seen that, hey, you have a listing of impairments condition, we can automatically get you approved because you are, your medical records show it, you got to go to step two and three rather than just refile, 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 refile.
0: So it sounds like if it may be that the best way for someone to file is to consult with an attorney. Or an expert of some type?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I love attorneys, but I don't believe in paying lawyers money if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I encourage people to do is to apply. If you think that you may qualify, it's free application. You start it online at socialsecurity.gov. It costs you nothing. All you do is tell Social Security, hey, I'm not working now. I can't work because of medical conditions or mental conditions physical or or mental and these are the doctors that have my medical records that show that and as long as uh, then Social Security takes it on itself to to contact those doctors, collect your entire medical file have a doctor they pay, a private doctor on consult to review the records and the doctor may come up and say yeah you win you win without a lawyer being involved and at the initial application There's nothing that a lawyer like myself, even with 40 years experience or more, is going to do to make that case successful at the initial level. But when you get denied, then you talk to a lawyer at that point, see whether you should appeal, have the lawyer tell you whether or not, I'm sorry, Social Security was right in your case, and we lawyers will give you an honest assessment. Lawyers that do Social Security disability claims do not charge a fee for that consult. It's routinely waived. We could charge a fee, but we don't. So we encourage people to come in and check what Social Security said. If it turns out Social Security's right, I'm gonna tell you, don't waste your time, and certainly I can't help you, if you don't have a valid claim. And out of five people that call me in a week, I'll probably say that to three people that they don't have a claim. The two that do have claims, Then I take that case, but I don't charge a fee at all unless we win. So it's contingent on winning. I jump in the same boat that you're in, and uh, if you're found disabled, I get paid, you get paid. Our fee is 25% of what they should have been paying you in the past. Social Security will send you 75%. They'll send a check to me for 25, but only if we win.
0: And I think you were telling me that that's just on the back pay. That Only on the forward, back pay. and you,
1: your money is your own. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll get your future checks every month once you've been shown you're disabled for as long as you remain disabled. Mm-hmm. Now, that's another issue that a lot of times Social Security will prove somebody for disability, but with the advances of modern science or just conditions generally getting better, medical conditions getting better, that people are not found disabled for all their life. Uh, They may – they're required by Congress, Social Security, is to review the case every three years. Now, they may do do a triage where they say, look, this guy has lost both his legs. That's not going to (laughs) change. We're not salamanders. We're not going to grow new limbs. Mm -hmm. So they'll review that case every eight years, even though Congress said review it every three. They just don't have the staff. You know, what's really interesting about Social Security, the number of staff that we have now is the same amount of staff we had when Dwight Eisenhower was president in the 1950s. The population in the 1950s, because that's when I was growing up in grade school, population was 150 million people. Now we're 320 million people. We have the same number of staff in the Social Security Federal Agency handling 320 million without an increase in the number of people. The only reason that happens, technology. So, for example, I told you how does somebody start a claim. You go online to socialsecurity.gov. Social Security no longer has any paper files. Everything is electronic. You give them a list of the doctors that treat you, they'll request those records, digitize them, transfer them into the electronic folder, and then a doctor will be emailed, here's all the records on John Smith, take a look, tell us if he meets... The listing of impairments is automatically disabled. Simple. Uh, it's through these technology things. I used to mail paper checks to everybody. We had terrible problems with the first of the month with bad people in the neighborhoods going through mailboxes and stealing the Social Security check. Now they send you a uh, direct deposit to your bank account. So all these technological improvements. We're going through a process now where Social Security is setting up video hearings. So even when we go to do a hearing for someone um, many times the judge might be in st louis missouri or washington dc on a screen in a room here in st petersburg so i appear with my client there's a camera facing us we see the judge on the screen and the judge may call an expert witness who's in north carolina all this technology reduces costs and speeds up how we can manage the system Wow, that's
0: interesting. Now, I want to loop back to something we talked about. I think a lot of what we're talking about is SSDI, Social yeah. Security Disability Insurance. What about people who don't have that work history? What What are their options if they become disabled?
1: They it depends on whether or not they have very low income from all other sources, and whether they have few resources or what we call assets. And by mean by that, I mean uh, what is countable assets? So, for example, if the person, let's take a, a young mother that at you know thirty stopped ta- stopped working to take care of her children when they were you know all in grade school at age forty, then she became disabled. If she's like a single mom and has very low income or no income, then she could apply for Supplemental Security Income, SSI, disability. Um, and to qualify that, there's a financial test first, and they look at, well, do you need our help? And um, so it depends on what income you have. Now that person, if she is eligible, her maximum payment is gonna be $771 a month, and that's it, in total. If she gets any income from another source, they're gonna subtract that from the 771, and so they might give her $300 a month for being disabled. To be, They also look at your assets. Uh, what do you own? But there are certain assets that don't count. An apartment or condo or um, or a single-family home, your primary residence doesn't count towards the limit that you can have, which is $2,000 of other assets. They don't count the contents of the house. They don't count your one vehicle. If you have two vehicles, that second vehicle counts against the asset limit. The asset limit is $2,000. So it's not $2,000 income per month. It's do you have $2,000 of stuff either in the bank or other assets. So um, oftentimes we'll see a scenario where the young mother in my example um, you know, has a bank account with $30,000 in it. Well, the most you can have is two and be eligible. But one of the things that Social Security Act has been amended by Congress to allow is for her to move that money the $28,000 that she she is a, uh, is preventing her from being eligible into a special needs trust. And that's one thing that we attorneys do for you. Um, and, um, and so then she can become eligible. The trust s- is there to assist her with extra stuff. It can't provide her regular income directly to her. It can pay for things she needs. So if she needs a new wheelchair and Medicaid only gives you one e- once every five years. Somebody steals her, her's one uh, year three, the trust is there to buy her a new wheelchair, for example. So uh, the special needs trust is a very useful tool to help people acquire benefits that don't have the quarters of coverage because they haven't worked recently enough.
0: What's well, interesting, you mentioned also about you know buying a wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, and I heard you earlier talk about the whole connection between filing for disability and then being eligible for medi- Medicare. And I know you'd mentioned also Medicaid as an option for some people. How does that work?
1: Well, the, um, there's, we need to kind of realize that when we're talking about disability, we're talking about two different programs. There's the rich person program where people have worked and paid taxes. And my check, if I were disabled at age 40, might be $2,500 a month. If you're poor... Then, And you haven't paid enough taxes or if you were born intellectually disabled, you never got a chance to work, um, then you can get this SSI check. Each of those two programs, SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance, based on what you pay in, that triggers Medicare coverage. Medicare is the best insurance in America. It's what I have now because I'm an old person. Uh, SSI triggers by state and federal law Medicaid eligibility which is better than having, you know, no insurance at all, uh, but um, only 8% of Florida doctors take Medicaid. 96% of doctors in Florida take Medicare. Uh, I'm on Medicare. You know, I, uh, if I have a, a medical issue I need to get looked at by a doctor, I just go in the phone book and I look at, well, who's, or now online, I guess, uh, who's the best doctor that treats ear, nose, and throat problems in the community? I don't even ask them when I worry about calling whether they take my insurance, which is Medicare, because 96% do. I have yet to find one in uh, the uh, 10 years that I've been on Medicare and my wife's been on Medicare and she's pretty medically involved. We've never found a doctor that doesn't take Medicare. Mm -hmm. But if we were on Medicaid, it's a horror for people who are getting SSI and Medicaid for them to find a specialist doctor. One of my clients here in Clearwater, has had two back surgeries that have been unsuccessful. He lost control of his bladder and bowels because of the problems with his spine. The doctor says, you need a third surgery. It's a little more complicated. He's in Clearwater. The closest doctor that takes Medicaid, Jacksonville, an 11-hour round trip. Yeah, exactly. So. Now, m- m- many other states are much better than Florida. Out of, the, out of the 50 states, states get ranked by the types of services they provide at Medicaid. Guess what? We, we used to say our state motto was thank God for Mississippi because we were 49th and they were 50th. We have achieved the, the level of being 50 out of the 50 states having the worst Medicaid program there is good for our team.
0: Wow. Well, and there are a number of, of factors where I know in other issues like transit and so forth where it where you live does matter and this is this program today is not about where you live but that's interesting to know that that Medicare and Medicaid really is different by states. SSDI and Medicare are really across a the nation. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. And let me tell you that um, I do a lot of, of speaking and training of attorneys nationally, uh, and also for state bar associations around the country. I'm trying to pass the information on how to win uh, to as many people as possible, because I'm getting old, I'm going to die. So uh, I will meet attorneys in California, and they'll tell me the benefits their clients get. And they're phenomenal. Because it's state. Medicaid is a state and federal program, 50-50. Medicare is 100% federal. So that's why there will be very little difference, exactly as you just said, Gloria. There's very little difference between Medicare one state or another. I mean, almost none. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Medicaid, it's substantial difference. Sometimes, and I'd say probably three, four times a month, I'll be called by somebody who may be on Medicaid already. And they're being turned down for a service. Uh, my most recent one was a woman that had breast cancer. Uh, there were complications when she, she had uh, the surgery for her uh, breasts. And the doctor said, medically, you need to have another surgery to fix the problems. And Medicaid in Florida won't pay for it. I, so my question to her is, well, do you have relatives that live in New York, Massachusetts, California? And she said, oh, yeah, my brother's in California. I said, go out there. They'll take care of you right away. She did. She arrived. Within two weeks, she got a uh, California driver's license because she moved into her brother's apartment, and she got her surgery within a month. In Medicaid, she would have waited forever and never. It never would have been provided to her.
0: Wow. That is really interesting. I mean, it, I know a number of people don't have the option of just moving, yeah, but that yeah. is so good to know that, that there are options, but the mm-hmm. options aren't always the easy, easiest ones. Okay. Well, good. Well, there's so much information here, and I could probably have you talk for hours, um, but do you have just any general other thoughts you want to share with our listeners about filing for disability, or, or you know, what are some of the best pieces of advice you can give anyone?
1: Well, uh, I encourage people that if they are unable to work, to file. Um, don't wonder about it. Don't wait. Don't delay. Just file. It, it, the the office, the Social Security office, is open 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, because you file online. So you don't have to get up and go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. The online application, I've got to credit Social Security, and I'm not the only one. The technology people said that the Social Security Administration has the best website of any government agency in the entire United States government. And it's. I think it's a valid award that they've received because uh, it. The filing of the application, they present questions to you one at a time. You know, tough questions like, what's your name?
0: <laughs> type it in.
1: <laughs> what's your social security number? Type it in. What's your address? What's the name and address of your doctors? These are things that, that even my clients who have a third or fourth grade education, they can handle. Sometimes, because it's technology, they'll get their eight-year-old son to help them. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know how we old people are. but
0: well, I, I guess you could even
1: probably go to a library and do that. Wouldn't that be right? And if you don't have a computer, yes, you can go to library. But if all else fails, um, then you can call the Social Security 800 number, which is 800-772-1213. And they'll regard your claim as being filed that day when you make the phone call. So if you're thinking of filing and it's June 28th and you might get around to doing it in July – don't wait till July. Make that 800 phone call number because they regard the claim as filed in June. You pick up an extra month of benefit if you're awarded. So sooner is better than later. Sooner is better than later. But calling the number, they will say, okay, we're regarding your claim file. We're not going to take the detail for you, but we're going to give you a an appointment at the local social security office in Clearwater, Florida on Drew Street. So you have an appointment time. And when you go in on whatever day they give you, Tuesday at 10.15, you're going to be seen really at 10.15. They're pretty good about anticipating uh, how long it takes to do everything. You might, maybe they're 10 minutes late. You might even be early, depending on who didn't show that day. But they will give you a solid appointment time. You don't want to just walk into the local Social Security office on Drew Street without an appointment because you'll be seen at the end of the day when all the people with appointments have been taken care of.
0: Wow, but it sounds like it's a pretty good system, all in all, one with some- Yeah,
1: we're always tweaking it. We can always make improvements, but generally speaking, I think it's a fair system. It works efficiently. Obviously, we're using the same number of staff as when Dwight Eisenhower was president uh, because we got rid of the paper primarily. So you know, there are criticisms of the system, but um, generally speaking, um, when Social Security does something wrong, that's when you need to call a lawyer because lawyers can straighten it out for you, and you don't have to pay a fee to the lawyer unless this lawyer is successful.
0: Wow. Very helpful. Well, thank you so much. This was I. I learned a great deal from the things you've shown me, and in fact, uh, Mr. Lillisand has given me some charts that that show that whole process of SSDI versus SSI and so on. And I am going to post those on a blog in on my website to follow up this this interview. So. Uh, Well, thank you, Mr. Sand, for your insights, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to join us again for future podcasts to give us even more information and practical inspiration. Uh, if any of our listeners would like to follow up with you directly, do you have any contact information that you'd like to share
1: with us today? Well, right now I, I prefer people go through you simply because our website's down because we're, we're redoing everything, so it's not uh, easy for people to just go through the web to get to me. So they should stay in contact with you. You know how to get hold of me. Okay. Uh, I'm fine with that if you're okay with that. I mean, obviously we have a local phone number, uh, and um, well, we I wish would- everybody the best.
0: thank you so much. And I will, yes, I will post information about you on, on that same blog on my website. So to our listeners, thank you again for joining us on this accessible journey. If you have any questions from this or earlier episodes of the podcast, please just drop us a note at info at your accessible com. Please join us again on future podcasts for even more information and practical inspiration. We welcome your comments and questions and ask you to subscribe and share our episodes. And we wish you a wonderful, barrier-free week. And thank you again, Mr. Lillisand.
1: My pleasure.